This morning, uh, we have the privilege to hear from our family pastor as he opens uh, God's Word this morning. So please welcome um, Pastor Brent. Thanks, bud. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Are you all awake? I know that was a long announcement time, but come on. We're going to uh, get into some word this morning. Go to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, the verse will be on the screen this morning. Um, thankful and grateful to be speaking to you today. We've got a uh, lot to do today. Um, we're going to be talking about um, an example, really, of what we discussed last week. And you're thinking, well, if I wasn't here last week, oh man, I missed it. Well, we'll recap a little bit of it. We're in the middle of our series called Holistic Mission. And it's a big phrase, it's a big title. Uh, and what does that really mean? And so last week we took some time and we focused on what the word holistic means, and especially in the context of mission. And so, um, long story very short, a 35-minute sermon here in uh, a couple of sentences, is Ross used some really good dynamic words to, to kind of merge the idea of caring for people, our compassion moving into service, and meeting the physical needs of people, married with the idea of sharing the gospel with people. And not leaving them just to their physical needs, but meeting their spiritual needs. And as we do that, we want to be a body, we want to be a church that addresses both needs holistically. And so when we go from this place, we want to see people for who they are and for what they have, but also meet a need that may be unseen. And maybe that unseen need is to bring them to the feet of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about an example this morning about a gospel story that Jesus heals a paralytic. And it's beautiful because you see practiced in, in practical ways this idea of holistic mission. And we're going to talk about the vision that is required when we go from this place and we want to provide people with our um, holistic lens or our vision for people. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, let's pray and then let's dive in to Mark chapter 2. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for bringing us here in this moment for some reason. And God, that reason may be that um, we needed to be lifted up through song and, uh, and through praise and worship. That reason may be that we needed to see somebody um, faithfully serving or worshiping and raising their hands and being a body and being a community with people that just surround us with love. Maybe that reason is to hear this word and this message that convicts them. And wherever they are, wherever we are in this uh, spectrum, God, that you would just come into this room and be with us as we learn more about the vision that your son had and that we hopefully can have as we leave this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm in the middle of uh, reading some stories to my kids, some very popular stories. You probably have read these stories to your kids or read them yourself, but the C.S. Lewis Chronicle series. Are you familiar with those? Now, there's a real popular one, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but there's some, so many other great stories, and the one that we've been on for a while, probably like a year now, is the, Dawn of the, uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and that is an amazing story, and if you've read that story, you know there's a boy named Eustace, and Eustace was a, just a, a child that was just selfish, mean, nobody liked him, he didn't like anybody at all, and he just didn't get along with anybody. 
Eustace uh, goes along and he finds himself on this ship, and it's called the Dawn Treader, and he's on this voyage, and this voyage takes him to an island. And on that island, he runs off the ship and he finds himself in a cave. And this cave brought forth some, some hidden treasure for him, and he finds all these rubies, he finds these diamonds, this gold, and he just is thinking, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to get back everybody that's been mean to me. I could be rich now, and I can show them, really, really, that I'm more powerful. So he's so excited about this treasure. And so he lays down on the treasure, and he falls asleep. And while he was sleeping, he, uh, excuse me, when he woke up, he noticed that he was no longer a boy, but he was a dragon. Because the dragon was the horde of this, of this supernatural dragon, okay? Love these chronicle stories, man. They're so mythical. Well, anyway, he, he wakes up and he notices he's a dragon. And what, really what happens is, is this dragon was just, just nasty on the outside. He's scaly and knobby and whatnot. And it really, his heart, what it was in his heart became his appearance on the outside. And so he woke up and he runs back to the ship as a dragon. And they're not letting him on the ship. One, he's a dragon. You don't let dragons on ships. And two, he was too big to fit on the ship. And so he's just downtrodden. He's like, oh, man, I, I, really, I really don't know what to do now. What am I going to do? So he begins to help the people on this voyage. And he can, he can do certain things now as a dragon that he couldn't do as a boy, so he contributes to the mission. And so um, the, the Christ-like figure of the story, Aslan, right, he appears, the great lion, and he takes this boy to a pool. Okay, to this pond area, and it's supposed to be a, a magical pond. And he says, Aslan says the, to the dragon, take off your suit and jump in, and you'll be a boy again. And so Eustace starts clawing at his scales and taking off his outer skin, and he, he notices that on the floor next to him is this, is this nasty skin-like scaly stuff. But he, no but he looks at himself, and he's still a dragon. And so he tries again to take off his skin, and he tries again, but it's unsuccessful in his attempt to take off his outer layer of skin. And Aslan looks at him and says this. He says, you're going to have to let me go deeper. And here's what Eustace says, and this is brilliant. We're going to get into Mark chapter 2 after this. He says, I was afraid of his claws, but I was pretty desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep, I thought it had gone right into my heart. When he began pulling off skin, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he pulled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself three other times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobby looking than any others had been. Then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water. And anything for a moment, then I saw, I turned into a boy." And so as we look at this story in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is going to go deeper than just the physical need. And he's going to hit at the heart of the paralytic's um, problem. Not just the physical need, but the, phys uh, the spiritual need. Let's read Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days he was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together. So that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let him down on the bed which the paralytic lay. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He was blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned within themselves, he said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately and picked up his bed and went out before them all. And they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus, early in his ministry, is gaining popularity at this moment. He has been healing so many people. He's even done an exorcism previously, and he's gaining popularity. So naturally, he's going to have this crowd attracted to what he's about to do. They're expecting a a miracle. But yet, when Jesus, although he's gaining popularity and although he's healing people, he doesn't neglect one thing here that he begins to do in the home, and that is preaching the word. He doesn't neglect his own word. In fact, he knows people are there to probably see something amazing. In fact, they left amazed and glorified God by what they saw, but he was still, it's important to not neglect my word. And so he's preaching the word. And as he's preaching the word, he's sitting there maybe in the middle of the house, and all of a sudden, some dirt starts to fall. And people start looking up, and tiles and thatch start dropping from the ceiling, and everybody's probably wondering, what in the world is going on? And then you finally see this man being lowered from the ceiling or from the roof, and they automatically, right, know why this man is in front of Jesus. They had to have, right? I mean, this man was paralyzed, and his legs or arms probably looked all mangled and nasty, and so everybody knew, oh, we're about to see something pretty amazing because this was the structure. This was what Jesus did. He healed people. He exercised demons from people. So they were anticipating something really, really great. And Jesus looks at him and he says, by their faith, your sins are forgiven. There had to be some sort of disappointment, right? By the guy who was laying there paralyzed. And he's like, whoa, wait a minute, dude. Hold on, time out. I, but can I walk? Well, what's the deal? Or the guy's up there looking down saying, I mean, we went all that way and climbed up for sin. I don't get it. And Jesus attacked and went deeper, way deeper than anybody ever saw. And he forgave the sins. Immediately after that, what happens? He was opposed. But he wasn't opposed outwardly. People started thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. He can't do that. Only God can do that. And they're right. Only God can do that. And so for the very first time, especially in the Gospel of Mark, you see Jesus proclaiming his divinity to people around him. Publicly, not just to his disciples, not just to the woman at the well in a private conversation, but publicly to everybody, he's claiming his divinity because it seems like Jesus is saying, this sin is against me. Because when we sin, all sin is against 
the Father. And so when, we, when, he, when he sees this man, he goes deeper than the physical need, and he says, your sins are forgiven, and people just uproar in their hearts, and Jesus perceives it. He perceives it. No one has said anything at this moment. And so his divinity is even clearer because he's calling people out for something that they didn't even say yet. And so the divinity of Jesus reads these people's hearts, and he gets into their hearts. So not only did he heal the heart, he also perceives their heart. And he says, which is easier, to tell this man his sins are forgiven or to take his bed and get out of here and walk home? Well, that's a really fair question, don't you think? I mean, which is easier to say? I mean, when people sin against us, we have to come to a place of forgiveness, and sometimes that's easy, and sometimes that's really hard. But we never say any to a paralyzed man, get up and walk, and expect him to walk. So which is easier? Well, when you're Jesus, both of them seem to be pretty easy, right? And so here's this crowd. They're anticipating a great amazement, and they see it, but they don't see it in an expected way. And they're, they're witnessing Jesus' divinity. They're witnessing Jesus as God claiming that he can save and he can uh, heal not only the physical but the spiritual. And so I, I think it's one of the greatest examples of this merging, this holistic vision or mission that we're talking about this series where Jesus not only talks about and notices and looks at the the spiritual or the physical, but he attacks and heals the spiritual. And we not only are called to look at the physical, which I think we do a really great job of that. I really do. I think that our church um, is, is unique in the way that we have a, a heart for the, for the lost. We have a heart for the people in, that are hurting. And, and guys, we are no exception. We have hurt in this congregation. We have people that are in the hospital as that we, that we speak right now. In fact, a quick update on Rebecca. She is um, out of ICU a couple days early, which is huge. The doctors have said that uh, the surgery went really, really, really well, uh, and that is just a praise report. And you guys have been great, not only in the first surgery for her. Uh, if you're visiting with us, Rebecca is our children's minister, and she uh, underwent some preemptive surgery to, uh, uh, to help her uh, you know, not, not get the bad things that, that are happening. And so... When, 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 we, when we see that, we, we are automatically drawn to the service aspect. And we have called Roy. He's probably annoyed at us. Saying, yes, you can visit after she gets out of ICU. Okay, so that, that's fine. But what we always go to the helping. But how many times do we get to an, an, an occasion where it's not just the, the, the physical need, but that we, we try to lead them to Jesus' feet? And that's where this holistic vision Comes in. So enter this story. Here's what I want to do. I want to look at the scenes that are that are attached to the story. So there's two scenes. If, if you think about, it. there's there's Jesus's home. Okay. So this will be the side of the, that Jesus's home is on, and then there's all the religious leaders gathered. Okay. There's there's the scribes. There, there there's the Pharisees, the Sadducees. All of them gathered in this home to hear Jesus's um, uh, lesson and, and to to see something amazing. And then you have, over on this side, you've got far away from the house, you've got four guys and a paralyzed man. Okay, so that's the two scenes. So let's just juxtapose these two positions, and let's look at this. We have nameless, faceless people that see their friend 
in need of healing. And then over here, we have the religious leaders, the who's who of, of what's going on in this city today, and they're, they're listening to the word being preached of Jesus. And if this doesn't say anything at all, this tells us something. This tells us that the nameless, faceless, insufficient people that aren't over here, maybe not invited over here, maybe they don't feel welcomed over there, they are being used by God to bring somebody to the feet of Jesus. And what it tells me is that God can use anyone and anything to bring people to his name. And so if you don't believe me, I wrote a list. And as I wrote wrote this list this week, studying for it, taken aback by the people that God uses in his scriptures that um, just revealed to me, wow, I I am, um, I I can be used here. Although I'm just a nobody, God can use me. Listen to this, Adam and Eve, they lied, they concealed, they hid from God, and they were accused the entry point of sin into the world. And God used them. Abraham, Sarah, old and serious marriage issues. Noah was a drunk. Jacob was insecure. Joseph was abused and sold into slavery. Moses was a stutterer and a murderer. Elijah was depressed. Gideon was poor. Rahab was a prostitute. David has a list too long for the sermon. Jonah was rebellious. John the Baptist, just really weird. Martha was a workaholic. Samaritan woman, numerous failed relationships, right? Thomas had doubts. Matthew was a tax collector. Paul was a Pharisee, persecutor of the church. Timothy was timid. Add your name to this list. Because we, although insufficient, not anything to do with us, we can still bring people to the feet of Jesus. And so if we look at both of these stories, we see that the vision here of these four men people that had nothing to do with going, what's going on over there, weren't invited, maybe didn't even feel welcome over there, they had this vision. They had this holistic vision of what they were wanting to do with their friend, and they had one goal, and that was to get them to Jesus. And so let's look at some of the things that I feel like, through the scriptures, they looked at in their holistic vision to get them to their friend. Um, I think holistic vision starts with a spirit of faith. It starts with a spirit of faith. We don't know when and we don't know how, but there was a time where these four men had encountered Jesus, whether that's by news, good news, whether that's by, hey, this man can heal, this man has done exorcism, this man has done so many great things, but they had faith that Jesus, if they just got their friend to Jesus, he would be healed. And so they started with this spirit of faith that Jesus was worth bringing people to, right? And they had that in their heart. We, as, as believers, as Christians, maybe you've been a believer for a long time. Maybe you can't even recall back that far of when you became saved and God entered into your life and you've uh, experienced faith like no other. And we need to be reminded of that joy the joy of that salvation and say, God, please help me be reminded of that suit. When I put that, when I put you into my life, when Jesus comes into my life, I want to remember the joy that I experienced at that moment. Or maybe, maybe it's someone that says you led someone to Christ and they accepted and Christ came into their life and you saw the spirit of God just hovering over them and you got excited and the motivation was there. We need to remember and experience that joy again. 
where we say that moment of faith that comes to us that Jesus is worth bringing people to because I was once lost, but God found me through people in my life. There, this dude was a nobody that led me to Christ. He was my high school football coach and an intern at our church, and our youth group intern. And, and beyond that, this man who led me to Christ ended up having an affair and dying on the way to see this woman. And he was nameless and faceless in the structure of the kingdom of God, but yet he led a little 16-year-old boy to Christ who would later feel the, experience the call to ministry. And he was he, he, uh, the chief of sinners, as Paul would say. And so we need to remember and recognize that holistic vision starts with a motivation that faith, that we have a, the joy of our salvation, that the faith that we don't leave people in their physical need, but we bring them to Jesus. The second thing is holistic vision sees people. Holistic vision sees people. Now, what's very important here is that when you look somebody in the eye, it's a very powerful thing, right? If you don't believe me, um, use public transportation and try to look people in the eye, okay? Yeah, that ain't happening, okay? People are going to be on their phone. They're going to look away from you. They're going to avoid you at all costs, especially on Wednesday night when I ask somebody, hey, who wants to pray? Our students, who wants to pray? Everyone goes, whoop. Something on the floor right down there, you know? I'm not looking Brent in the eye, okay? So people, when they, when, they, when they lock eyes with people, it says something, right? There's a power there. There's a, I see you. I, I see you. I see you broken. I see you, you know, I, whatever it is. But I see the hurt. And then you're faced with a decision. These men over here, they saw this paralytic and they had compassion for this man. They, they were empathetic to his situation. And so he not only saw him, but they acted on it. And, and to really, the word compassion means to suffer with. And so I can only imagine these four men got together and say, man, I, if it was us laying here, what would we want? What would we, we would want to be at least the hope of healing. And that was the direction that they went. And so when we put on this, these lens, we put the lens of compassion that we see people and we see their need and we recognize that need and we say, you are an image bearer of the most high God. Amen. You have a soul. And, and, and when we leave this place, the people who don't know Jesus, guess what? They're still in the image of God. And so when we, when we back up and we see that they're hurting, that their needs, what they need is they need Jesus. They need to experience the love and the compassion of somebody who will bring them to the feet of Jesus. And so holistic vision puts on the lens of compassion. It sees people for who they are. It sees people for what they will be when they come in contact with Jesus. The third thing is holistic vision has multiple sets of eyes. Has multiple sets of eyes. Notice that it wasn't just one person that moved this paralytic man to Jesus. In fact, I don't even think one person could have done it because they, they had to walk, uh, you know, an X amount of distance. Who knows how long that is? But they also had to go up with them, right? And that's no easy task to carry dead 150 pounds, let's say minimum dead weight, up stairs. Maybe it's a hill. I, mean, I don't know what they walked up, but they had to go up. And so 
they had to be in community. They, they had to look at each other and say, and lock arms and, and work together and unite and say, we got to get this man to Jesus. And so they, they did. They worked together. They united. And what does it tell us? It tells us not, not, not just, this isn't a, you know, when you hear the word community and, and, and look, I want everybody in here to find a community group. We need community group leaders, and this, this is not necessarily the biggest push for that, but we need to come together in communities. But this is also saying there's a bigger need as us as a body of believers, a full family of faith to come together and see the need, not just Centennial Church, but the kingdom at work. We got Preston Trail down the road. We got the bigger churches. We got the smaller churches. Come together and see the need. Work together and unite and say there's people that need to be brought to Jesus. And we can do so better by locking arms and partnering with people as the, as the four guys did. And their goal was to bring them to Jesus. Our goal is to seek and save that which is lost. And we can do that as a body of group here, but also at a kingdom at large. There's an um, Eastern African proverb that um, I love. I came across it this week. It says this, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And I think that kind of gives it, we can go as fast as we want, but the race isn't a sprint. It never talks about a sprint. Like it's a marathon. It's, we want to go far. We want to get to people. We want to go wide not, uh, and deep. Okay, we, we have hit all these things, and we want to do it together. Um, the fourth thing is this. Holistic vision sees the mission through. Sees the mission through. There has to be, along the journey, there had to have been some adversity. I mean, we know from the scriptures that when we, then they got to the door, it says this, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word of them. They came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. So the, they couldn't even get into the house. And yet, they didn't just stop. They didn't just bend down and say, okay, he's got a selfie here. Click, hashtag tried our best and just walked away, Right? No, they, in the midst of adversity, they, they hit a roadblock and they pushed on. In fact, it's not in the Bible, but I could just imagine one of those four people just looking at the door and saying, hmm, ah, oh, I've got a crazy idea. And they look up, right? They're like, let's get him up there and let's work to get this man to Jesus by lowering him down. However they got there, however they came up with the idea, they didn't give up. They saw it through. Amen. Look, the, the mission, holistic mission, as ministers and missionaries, we talk about this all the time. Each individual believer in this room is a missionary and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to be hard work. The road, uh, the road beyond this place is hard. It's not easy. There's going to be roadblocks that's going to hit us. There's going to be people that don't want to be helped. There's going to be people who don't want to come to Jesus. There's going to be people who don't want to hear what you have to say. But yet, we don't want to give up just because we hit a roadblock. Holistic vision stop, doesn't stop at the roadblock. It goes beyond. And this, and this group of people were creative enough to say, wait a minute, I, want, I still think this is worth going to Jesus. 
I still think the gospel is more important than tiles and dirt and, 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 and buildings and property. I, I still want to get my friend to be healed. Creatively, let's go through the roof. What do we need to do? Maybe you're in contact with a friend or a coworker or a family member, and you're hitting up some roadblocks. What can we do? What can you do to move beyond that roadblock? Don't give up. Don't give up. Things are going to get hard. <clears throat> and lastly, holistic vision sees people as image bearers of God. And we talked about this, right? Compassion moves ourselves from just the physical need, and we have to understand that each person here has a soul. Jesus did this exactly the first thing he did. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four men who brought this person to Jesus, he said, son, these family-like terms that you see, son, your sins are forgiven. That was not expected. Your sins are forgiven. Not your leg is healed. Not that your arm can work. Not get up and walk out of the house, which he will eventually say, but he first goes and says, you, I want to get to the heart of the matter. And while we cannot, as believers and as people, cannot forgive sins, we don't have the power and authority to do that. The scripture says only God can do that, and that is absolutely true. We can recognize and have a heart and a compassion that every person needs Jesus. That neither us or anybody else ever outgrows the gospel. And that when we come in contact with people, we need to understand that they have a soul that will either be with Jesus one day forever or will not. And that, and that moment in time, if we have such narrow lenses, we can miss an opportunity to share Jesus or to bring them to the feet of Jesus in that moment. And they may never get another chance. That could happen. And so we have to, there's a little, if you really read the story, you see there's a little bit of urgency here, right? There's an urgency with bringing people to Jesus. Yes, he was, he was paralyzed, so there's a, probably a life-threatening issue here, but there is urgency of bringing people to Jesus. And so when we come in contact with people, we need to have that in our mind, that lens that says you are an image bearer of the Most High King, and you're worth something. Jesus wants you, and you can lead that person through Jesus and through God's power and sovereignty, you can lead that person to the feet of Jesus and let Jesus heal, not only physically what they've got going on, but their heart, their sins. So many times we feel like our suffering, our, our struggles, our hurt and our pain lead us to Jesus. And I think that is absolutely correct. And I think that that is good. We pray for people's hurting and people's struggles and people's hurt and pain and, and all these things, strife. But what really, really brings us to Jesus is our, our sin, is our lack of, of anything. It's, it's, it's that we can't figure it out, and Jesus heals that along with whatever. And, and, and really, and, and I don't want to be naive here too, I, I want to, there's people that are sick right now that are whole spiritually. Do you get what I'm saying? What, 
when you look at a sick person, you don't think, oh, okay, well, that, that person just needs Jesus. Because sick people can be whole people spiritually. And the same thing about it. Very, very whole people can be sick very, very spiritually. Just tracking with me? You know what I'm saying? So when we go out from this place, we, 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 the, our vision is wide and deep. And we see people for image bearers, not just about what their symptoms are, but their soul. <clears throat> I, uh, over Christmas, um, one of my cousins got this... Um, virtual reality headset thing. Y'all play with those? Okay, if you haven't played with that, you, I mean, they're 15 bucks at Walmart. Put your phone in it. It's so cool. Anyway, we're in the living room, and um, we, we're, trying to, we're trying to go through this roller coaster. There's, there's this roller coaster program, and, and, it, and it really does take you on this roller coaster, and you feel like you're on it. And uh, so we were all trying to stand up in the living room while watching this, this, putting this headset on and watching us ourselves either on a roller coaster or skydiving. And, and if you do skydiving, get ready because you need to sit down because you will fall on your face. I'm serious. <laughs> so we were trying to stand up and man, we were like, we were all over the place. And, and all of a sudden we put the headset on and we were no longer in the living room. We, we may have been there physically, but, but, but there, was, there was nothing that we saw or felt that was anything in that living room. I, was a hundred, I felt like I was 100% on that roller coaster, and I felt it too when I fell on my face. <laughs> the same thing, and, and, and really in order to do this holistic mission we've been talking about, to merge this idea of caring for people and their physical needs and also sharing the gospel and the good news, there's this headset, there's this vision that we got to put on that, that, that when we leave this place, we, we remember the joy of our own salvation to motivate us to say, we've got to get people to have that joy because they have a soul. They, they're image bearers. We, we've got to put that lens of compassion on, of empathy, to putting ourselves in that spot that they're in or to suffer with them so that we feel we, we don't want to leave them here. There, there's a savior that they need to experience just like I did. Amen. So, but we also understand and know we can't do everything like this alone. That, that, that there are times where, where we need to involve other people. A, a pastor, one of the pastors that um, I listened to this week called it collaboration. We need to collaborate with people. And we need to bring them into the mix and say, look, I'm having a hard time. I need you to start praying for this person diligently by name. Here's that person's name. And I want you to pray because I'm going to be in contact with that person this, on this day and this day. And I, I'm, I'm kind of nervous and I want to bring them to Jesus, but I need your help. And we need to lock arms with people and partner. And I love the mission of this church is that we want to get up more plants and partnerships. And we want to partner with local ministries and international ministries and domestic ministries. And all this thing to, to get the mission of Christ to seek and save that which is lost. And so when we leave this place, we want to collaborate with other people. And we want to remember, like, this isn't something that we hit a roadblock and just stop. We, we want to see the mission through. And maybe that'll never happen. You know, I'm not saying that, that if you work harder than anything else, that person will come. That, that's, that's God's job to do that. Right. Our, our job is to send the message out and to try everything we can, creatively or whatever, to get that person to Jesus. And if that doesn't happen, guys, that, 
It's not our job to save. It's not our job to save. And that should give you some relief. It's our job to present and to give the message away. And finally, the lens to view people, not, not only as a person, because they are. They're people too. But also as an image bearer of the Most High God. Because their soul counts. They're they're not just a number. They're not just a person. They're not just somebody. They are Jesus waiting to be in in unity with him. They're waiting to be. And if that happens, great. And that's awesome. And you you get to to be with them for, for eternity. But some people that we get to share with, they don't. And that's the reality. And so if we never share, if we never be bold or never come out and and share with them, they may be the last shot. And so we want want to put those lens of compassion. We want to put those lens that we see everybody as the image bearers of God, not just with the physical need, but the spiritual need. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, the task at hand seems great and daunting and big. And and there's many people here, including myself, that that fall short, um, that that don't put on these lenses and this vision that um, your word tells us to do and we're sorry. God, I pray that you would help us. And the only way this happens is if you put the lens on for us, God, that you can, you can have us view people um, the way you see people, the way you see their heart, the way you see their needs. There's people hurting out there. And God, we have the message of hope. I pray that we would bring that message of hope to them boldly, that we proclaim it like your son did each and every day. We proclaim your word in the message of hope. I pray that this, this body would come together, would unify like it has never done before, and that they would have one purpose, holistically, to leave this place, meeting needs every which way. In your name we pray. Amen.